Smartcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I noticed that businesses go through seven very distinct developmental stages. And not only do they go through them in this certain sequence, you can't skip one or you can be punished and kicked back to the one earlier that you came from. Welcome to Think Business with Tyler, sharing our methods and strategies for success. Join in on our conversations with business owners as we highlight their triumphs and detail how they overcame the challenges they faced while continuing to grow and scale their business. It's time to think life, think success, and think business with your host, Tyler Martin. Discover the art and science behind successful entrepreneurship as we delve deep into the value of having a coach or mentor. Today, our guest, Carl Gould, unveils the significance of systems and processes, uncovers the telltale signs of when you truly need a mentor, and emphasizes the game-changing benefits of surrounding yourself with driven, like-minded peers. If you're on a mission to elevate your business journey, you won't want to miss the gems Carl's about to drop. Hey, Carl, thanks so much for being on the Think Business with Tyler podcast show. How is it going today? Oh, it's going awesome. Thanks, Tyler. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. Hey, could you share a little bit about yourself? Like, what do you do? And then maybe a little bit about your background. Sure. So I own a firm called Seven Stage Advisors, and we're a growth advisory firm. We work with small to mid-sized businesses, and uh, we show them how to differentiate themselves, innovate, how to define their niche and lead their niche, and, and how to maximize the profitability of the company. My background is I went to school at University of Delaware to study accounting and finance. Had a pretty bad leg injury my second year, and I had to leave school so I, six months later, when I was uh, out of traction and walking again, I started my first company, which was a landscaping business. Sold that, started a construction and real estate development company, sold that. Uh, but during that entire time from 1990 on, I was coaching with uh, Tony Robbins and Stephen Covey and Ken Blanchard and situational leadership. And, and so when I sold my second company, I started what the business I have today, which is my coaching company. And uh, we've been doing it ever since. So I want to define you. It's a small to medium-sized businesses you work with. What's your definition of a small or medium-sized business? So I don't use the SBA or the government because that would be like 500 employees. That's crazy. Right, right, right. So I look at micro businesses, which are 10 employees or more. Okay. And then from 10 to 50, I would call a small and a mid-sized 50 and above. Right. And uh, if you look at like a micro business is under, say, 500,000 ish, a uh, small business is that 500,000 to a million up until about 10 to 20 million and then mid sized 20 and above. Got it. And then you use the term, I just love to understand this a little bit more. You use the term situational leadership. What exactly is that? What does that, what does that mean? Situational leadership is a, is a model that was created by Ken Blanchard. And it's essentially, how do you coach in the moment? How do you think on your feet? What are the things that you do? And, and just a little, a quick, quick recap of and summary of how that works is think of the letters DS, 
DSDS. And in situational leadership, you provide direction to your coach E or mentee and then support. And then once they, they've gone through that phase of growth, some more direction, more support. So for example, I was going to the Middle East to give a keynote, right? And I spoke to, I spoke to somebody who had also spoken, given a keynote in the Middle East. And I said, is there anything I need to know? And they said, oh, Carl, you're going to be great. Amazing. Awesome. You're going to crush it. They were giving me support. So then I went there and I said a few things that were offensive to people in the Middle East that we find fine here. They don't find fine there. And I went back and, and they're like, well, how'd you do? I'm like, well, apart from saying this, this, and this, and they said, whoa, why'd you say that? That's offensive. And I'm like, I was hoping you would have told me that. I didn't want the promoter to tell me that, you know, halfway through a presentation, you know? So uh, you give somebody direction, then support. So in whatever situation you're in, how do you best manage it? How do you best respond as opposed to overreact? And how do you, you know, have the most constructive interaction? Yeah, that's hilarious. Did you know during that speech, like, did you know you were like hitting on some wrong words or do you find out afterwards or do you see the audience's expression? Because I, oh, <laughs> I was pretty sure I said something wrong while it was happening. <laughs> Someone comes up during the break and they're like, I know you didn't mean this, but here's what that expression means here. And I was like, really? And they said, yeah. And I said, uh, okay, I'll stay away from that. And they said, I think you should, you know? And so, I mean, I went to Russia one time, gave a keynote and gave, uh, and gave the thumbs up, right? Well, the thumbs up in Russia is like a middle finger. Oh my gosh. You know, they, they want to see that instead. Okay. And I'm, I'm, I saw all these photographs and I'm like, why is it, you know, and then I asked and I was like, yeah, yeah. You want, you might want to stop the whole thumbs up thing. I'm like, oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> It's everywhere on social media now. Anyway, so uh, yeah, sometimes it's good to know the local language and some direction from others would have been helpful. That's hilarious. Uh, Sorry to laugh at your expense, but it it makes for a good story if there's nothing else. Sure does. Well, they were nice about it. They're like, we get it. We've seen it. We understand that you didn't mean anything by it. But they're like, yeah. Because I was in in this uh, receiving line and there are about 200 people coming. I was about to take 200 photos. And someone came up and was like, yeah, all right, you're like 30 and you, you, may, want to, you may want to change that. I'm like, okay, good. Good, good to know. Good hey, to know. <laughs> hey, so I want to talk about your background a little bit. But before I do that, because you've obviously had a lot of success, but before I do that, what are some things that you see in that small and medium-sized uh, business range of challenges that companies are facing? Like, is it, is it cultural stuff? Is it leadership issues? What, what, what do you see in your client base most often? Yeah, so so if you're in that $1 to $10 million range, you know, part of the challenge you have is you got to one or two or three, maybe even $5 million on hustle alone. Right. You're the owner, you're wearing all the hats, but you're a generalist, right? You're, you're good at whatever you do and you... You're also the chief marketing officer and the chief revenue officer and the chief financial officer. So you probably have one set of skills. However, you're a generalist everywhere else. And so are your employees. They're a bunch of generalists. And now, in order to scale, to get above 5 million, to go to 10 and get beyond that, you need to have specialists. You need to have somebody who just does the marketing, just does the sales, just does the finances. And a lot of those employees don't want to be specialists. They like working in that 
in that go-go kind of small family-run entrepreneurial business chaotic environment, and they like it there. And you'll find that from one to 10 million, you'll probably only keep one third of your team. So you're going to go through a big turnover and, and that can oftentimes emotionally have a big effect on the owner because they, they, you know, they made the promise to the employees in the beginning, like, hey, you hang in there and there'll be some great rewards when we get bigger. And then when they get bigger, the employees actually don't want it. And the owner is like, well, and you, you tend to want it more than the employees sometimes. So, so that's a hard lesson to learn is that not everybody thinks like an entrepreneur and they they want to work at a certain size company with a certain kind of experience and they might may not necessarily be interested at the larger size. Right. So as a company scaling, let's even go beyond 10 million, let's say, you know, 20 million as yep. they're scaling up. Do you think as they're growing, the same people fit in the same seats or do you have to be prepared to kind of like some of them just aren't going to grow with the company and you kind of have to reorganize that to scale up. What's your thoughts around that? You know, my experience is, is that you are likely going to have to prepare to put new people in those seats, right? Because one, they might not be, you know, they might not be really wired to be in a larger company, you know, where the job is the same job every single day. Because once you, you can, like I said, you can hustle your way to 5 million, but over 5 million, you're building an assembly line. I don't care what business you're in, you are building an assembly line, no matter how thin you slice it, what business you're in. Oh, no, we'll never be that. Yes, you will. Right. Because you have to create predictable results. And in order to survive and be able to scale, you need to have very predictable, consistent results. And that and that means people, same people doing same things, same time every day, a certain way. And so that's all fine as long as you love what you do. And you don't mind the assembly line at all. And so that part is hard for some entrepreneurs to grasp because they started the business because they didn't like the situation they were in, or they had an idea, or they thought they could do it better. And they vowed, I'm never going to be like that company I used to work for. And then they get, they be, they, you know, so they want to stick it to the man or the woman. And now they are the man or the woman, right? And so one of the challenges CEOs get into in the beginning is they, rebel against their own company. You know, oh, I'm not following that. I'm not doing accountability that way. And then they get burnt. And then and then it's a very expensive lesson. Either they make a big mistake and they have to redo a job or an employee leaves and sues them or employee leaves and becomes their competition. And all of a sudden, these, these mistakes are very, very costly. They're six-figure or more mistakes. And that's a lot of times what it takes for a business owner to, to you know, get the lesson. Yeah. And when you say assembly line in your mind, is that like processes, systems, consistent delivery, kind of making it this ongoing type where it's very replicatable? Yeah. You've got to be able to duplicate what you're doing through a machine, right? So, you know, in the beginning, when you first start out, it's person to person and we are a personality driven company. If I'm trying to figure something out, I go to you, Tyler, and you tell me what's on your mind. You tell me what's on, I tell you what's on my mind. And we come to some sort of conclusion. Well, I, later on, I don't do that. I put more of my thoughts into a communication app, which you then read, which then ties to a document, which then gets shared with other people and they get to contribute. Everybody kind of works through machinery and robots. And it's our job to be the steward of the chair we're in or the computer monitor that we are running or the keyboard we're running. And that 
position has to produce a certain amount of results on a regular basis in order for the other parts of the business to rely on us, for our clients to rely on us. Look at what happened during the pandemic, right? The big buzzword was the supply chain broke down. Well, there's no actual thing as the supply chain. What it is, is a whole bunch of people who do the same thing all day long. And guess what? When the guy at the port, the crane operator's not there to unload the boat, well, guess what? The truck doesn't get loaded and the driver can't drive to his hub. And then the forklift rider can't pull the stuff off the truck and load the next truck. So the supply chain breakdowns, it wasn't a whole supply chain. It was just a few uh, strategic parts that broke down that disrupted the whole thing because it's like a relay race. I'm relying on you to run that baton over to me and put it in my hand. I'm going to grab it and I'm going to run with it. We get nowhere if one person drops it. Right, right. No, that makes a lot of sense. So, hey, I want to talk a little bit about you have something called the seven stages of business success. Yeah. What is that? Help me understand. What is that? So very early in my career, I was looking, I was one of the first coaches who ever had a six-figure practice, right? I wanted it to be a full-time business and I did that. And a lot of people came to me and said, well, how are you doing? And I said, well, back in the nineties, when I started as a coach, there weren't a lot of systems. So I wrote one for me. And I noticed that businesses go through seven very distinct developmental stages. And not only do they go through them in this certain sequence, you can't skip one or Mm. you can be punished and kicked back to the one earlier that you came from. So now in 1990, when I came up with it, it was just an idea. But now it's three plus decades later and 100,000 businesses later, you know, hundreds of thousands of data points. And we now validated that this is how it goes. So stage one is the strategic planning stage where you get all your great ideas out of your head onto paper and your business, you need to have a compelling and exciting plan for your business, right? Then you get your first client, you go to stage two. Stage two is the specialty stage. And that's where you identify your niche, become a thought leader, and you can set premium pricing for your business. You're going to need that because you're going to have to hire managers. And if there's not enough gross margin, You can't afford to ever scale. So we need that stage two that's very, very important to become an expert. Then we go to stage three. Now we're an expert, really busy. People are paying us our fee. Now we need more people to help us. So we build an implementation team. That's stage three. Most businesses from one to 10 million are going to be in stage two, three, maybe four, but they're going to be in that two to three. Now we go to stage four. Stage four is the systems stage. That's where you break down every single part of your business You decide what kind of business you're going to become. Am I going to be a corporate or a licensed model or a software business? Or am I going to be a franchise? Where am I headed? Am I going public? What am I? Am I going to be a flat organization? Am I going to be a virtual organization? I got to decide what kind of ecosystem I'm going to have. Stage five is what we call sustainability. And that's where the systems take over. They become the star. And you're now, for the first time, ready to scale. So think you're a franchise, you're Panera Bread or your Virgin Companies or your Home Depot. You can now be multi-location, multi-product, multi-service. Stage six is what we call saleability. And this is where you maximize the saleability of your business. Here you are building your management team. In order to be ultimately saleable and build your enterprise value, you need three people. Somebody to generate leads, that's not the owner. Someone to convert those leads to sales, that's not the owner. And somebody who's in charge of fulfillment, that's not the owner. 
Now, I didn't say finance. What do you mean? Right. So we live in a world now where the outsourced CFO finance director is so well developed, you can actually outsource that. But if you if you want to round out your management team, you'd have a CFO as well. That's not the owner. The key being, it's not the owner. <laughs> there's, there's a theme here. <laughs> there's a theme there. I don't know if you caught that. But, right? Now, and then stage seven is the succession stage. And that's where it's time to fire employee number one, the CEO, right? And now the business is chugging along on all cylinders. And the day that you announce that you are no longer the CEO and you have a new leadership team, the value of the business actually goes up because of the, the talent that you've left in place. So, and then you're ultimately scalable at that point. So in those seven stages, do you see any pattern when we're talking about business coaches and mentoring where a business is getting hung up? Like where where does a business coach enter into that? Is there a common area where like, this is your stage for you? This is where most companies get stuck. You really need a business coach or a mentor. What, what's your thoughts around that? Yeah. Well, you need a coach at every one of the stages and your need okay. for a coach gets more dramatic as you go through them. Here's what I mean. And you don't have to keep the same coach all the way through, but if you're going to sure. try to create a strategic plan and you want a compelling vision, you might need somebody to help draw that out of you, right? So that company for ocean.com where you buy the bracelet of recycled plastic and then they, and then they clean a, a pound of uh, trash off of the beaches and the ocean floors, right? You know, to create that company, you want the proper mentor for that. And then when you go to stage two, you want to be an authority and an expert in your niche. You might need people that can help you build your content. How do I become an influencer? You know, what's my pricing strategy? I might need somebody to run those numbers. Stage three and four, we call the graveyard of most small businesses. So if you're if you're listening right now saying, well, you're a coach, of course, you're going to say that you need a coach at every stage. <laughs> so here's the place. If you haven't gotten one yet, you need one here because three to four is the hardest part for an entrepreneur because you go from being a personality-driven business to a process-driven business. Your, your revenue and profits might actually suffer while you turn the energy internally into the company as you document all of your systems and put management structure in place and you become a process-driven company. So if there's any spot where you should be looking for a coach, it's between stage three and stage four. So that would be the area to get through that time because that's a really difficult time. Okay. And then what do you think about this? Do you, you'd mentioned, you know, you might have different coaches for different stages. Someone would have once said to me, hey, I love using coaches, business coaches, but I only have a business coach for two years. And then I go to a different business coach because I like a different perspective. What's your thoughts around that? Like, do you, do you agree with that methodology or any, any opinion or thoughts? Yeah, I'm going to assume for a moment that that person might feel like they've gotten all they wanted out of that coach, and maybe yeah. they've graduated from that coach's, or maybe that that person has grown to the point that they're ready for the next level coach. Now, if they just are very variety driven and 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 it's just like, hey, listen, I don't like listening to the same person more than two years <laughs> in a row, then fine, that's totally cool. Then have multiple coaches. The beauty is when I first started as a coach. I participated in a study in 1995. How many coaches are there worldwide? There was like 5,000. 10 years later, there were 50,000. You go on LinkedIn today and there's over 2 million responses to the word coach. So the beauty is, is that there's coaches and guides and mentors and consultants and advisors for just about everything. It's, a, it's an incredibly mature 
industry with a lot of people that have a lot of expertise. So your choices are better than ever. Now, what I see mostly is, is that people will outgrow the coach's uh, skill level or experience. And, uh, and that's the most of the reason why somebody will shift. If it's a personality clash, it usually happens right from the get-go. You're not the right package for me. I love you, but you need to hear it or I need it delivered a different way. And that comes out right away. It's usually not just a timing thing. It's usually an expertise thing. Right, right. Yeah, I, I agree with that. What do you think in terms of selecting a coach? To your point, there's 2 million, not all business coaches, obviously, but there's 2 million on LinkedIn and growing. It's, it's going like crazy. How do you find... I know your the firm, your firm with the seven stages has, uh, I think, over seven thousand coaches that certified, something like that. How do you find like what is the steps to finding a good business coach? Is there a process, or what would you do if you were going to go out and hire a business coach tomorrow? Yeah, so if I so there's a couple of questions in there, but basically it's more about the client now than ever. Like when coaching first started, it was enough to say I'm a coach. Oh, fantastic. You're going to ask me questions. You're going to help draw out of me whatever I need. Wonderful. And that's still a very valid part of coaching. But the client has evolved just like the industry has evolved. In other words, most people know how to use a coach for some to some degree. Most people have been on social media or listened to podcasts or, you know, or they bought a book that teaches them the 10 questions you should ask yourself. And we have morning routines and meditation. So coaching in its purest form the most clients have grown beyond. And so most clients now demand somebody that not only has the coaching skills, meaning the ability to read what's below the surface, what am I really getting at? I know when I say this, Coral, what do I really mean that? Like somebody who has that skill level to kind of peel the onion back and ask the questions. So that's the coaching skill side. But somebody who's also a resource, right? Either I've done it already. I've done what you're trying to do. You want to build a $5 million business? I built a $5 million business. I can mentor you in that area. Or I have specific skills I can consult you on. Like I'm an expert at writing business plans, or I'm an expert at creating funnels, or I'm an expert in graphics. You know, So now it's more of a hybrid than ever. So yes, I want somebody who is a good coach, but I also want somebody who has some experience or skill set in my chosen field. And I think um, so there are still pure coaches, and I've had pure coaching engagements still, but the overwhelming majority of what I see is it's the client that's been educated as to how coaches work, and now they want that coaching skill, but they also want some expertise and resource to bounce off of their coach. If you're a business owner feeling stuck in your business, overwhelmed, responsible for everything that happens, and working long hours, Tyler helps his clients develop processes, hire high-performing team members, and better understand their financial metrics and numbers to allow for a more predictable, less hands-on business. To schedule a free, no-pressure consultation, head to thinktyler.com and click the meeting button. Tyler would love to see if he can help you work on your business, not in your business. Schedule a consultation today at thinktyler.com. Think life, think success, think business. Well, the overwhelming majority of what I see is it's the client that's been educated as to how coaches work. And now they want that coaching skill, but they also want some expertise and resource to bounce off of their coach. So almost like a mix, a blend of maybe, would you say advisory with coaching? Kind of an advisory type yeah. consulting, maybe even, I don't know. Well, I actually have now taken the coaching 
And I, I look at four very distinct archetypes. And so for me, there's the coach, the consultant, the mentor, and the advisor. And very quickly, the consultant is the person that you go to that sees the problem, diagnoses the problem, and fix it. So like your surgeon, your dentist, the auto mechanic, you know, or that person that you're going to to try to uh, uh, do online funnels, right? Then there's the mentor. The mentor is kind of half coach, half consultant. In other words, they've done what you've done before, and I'll show you the path. So let's just say I went to the military. I went through basic training. You're, it's your first day. And you're like, hey, Carl, what can I expect? And I'm standing on one side of the beach. You're standing on the other. And there's a whole bunch of footprints in the sand. And I say, hey, listen, walk in my footsteps because I know that works. But now once you've done that, you've come, come to my side. We're peers now. You've now done what I've done. And I'm no longer your mentor. So a mentor is for a period, a window of time, because they, they're going to experience, share, and, and give you best practices and lessons learned, right? So that's the consultant. That's the mentor. The third is the advisor. Now, the advisor is the hardest one to become because you can't buy the trophy. And it only comes after years and years of, of bumps and bruises along the way. And the advisor is somebody who is good at many things. And what they are good at is harnessing and corralling all of the all of the things that you need in order to get something done. They are good at organizing and channeling a group's efforts, right? And so the subject matter expert isn't as expertise isn't as important. It's much more that they know how to essentially project manage, right? Because they've done it so many different ways and they've won, they've lost, and, and all that. And then there's the coach. The coach is the hardest skill to master. Because a client is just going to give you symptomology, almost rarely the cause. And you have to peel the onion back and get down to the root cause of the challenge and work on what the root emotional causes that are at the center of the issue and then help them process through, understand that, and then emerge out of that processing with a series of resolutions and ideas and, you know, and direction as to where they're going to take, you know, those solutions. So I break, I break the industry now into four very distinct categories, and you will need some, one of those four, you know, at various points of your journey. Yeah. Wow. That, that's one of the best explanations I've heard in terms of where that business coach fits in and what skill sets they should have. So I love it. Hey, I wanted to ask you a couple of fun questions. So you were actually, you've spoken, I think you said for three years at Tony Robbins uh, live events. What was it? One, I guess my first question, what was that like? I mean, that's pretty cool because he gets huge audiences, doesn't he? He does. Yeah. He, it's wild. The very first time I ever presented for Robbins, the audience was 13,000 people. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I fast forward a couple of years from there and I'm sitting on the production stage with one of their, with one of their team. And from the stage, Robin says, we're a coaching company. And I looked at the production manager and I said, I don't think we're a coaching company at all. I think we're a seminar company. And she said, no, Tony thinks we're a coaching company. And I'm like, well, I'm willing to prove him wrong. And so that led to a conversation with their director of coaching and so I said, I would like to do a coaching breakout session at U UPW, Unleashed Power Within, and I'll prove it. And let's, so if we're a coaching company, then nobody's going to come to my session. Nobody's going to care. And certainly nobody's going to buy anything from us, right? So there we were. Uh, it was Colorado Springs, I think it was in 2004. Yeah, 2004. 
And um, we did our first session and we had a bunch of people come to the breakout session at the end of the seminar. And wouldn't you know, more people bought coaching packages during that one hour, three to one. We outsold the coaching booth that was open for 60 hours. We had one hour at the end and we outsold the coaching booth three to one. And so I did that presentation at his seminars from the end of 2004. So five, six, and seven. So it was very end of 04 and then five, six, and seven at this domestic. And now if you go to a seminar, there's a whole four hour breakout session on coaching. And it's essentially the same one I gave 20 years ago. Wow. So you kind of drove that. That's awesome. That takes some guts to, uh, to say he's wrong. I mean, you, you must have had a pretty strong conviction, I'm assuming. Yeah, I was passionate about it. And, um, and I'm glad I was able to contribute. You know, it's cool. So cool. What did you, um, you know, giving a presentation in front of such a large audience, and there's a lot of energy, typically, from what I know about those seminars, what was that like? Like, is does that get you fired up? Is it is it nerve wracking? Do you get used to it? Well, you do get used to it. And you realize that, I mean, there's there's some technical things you do differently with a small audience versus a large audience, you know, in how you gesture and where you stand and those sorts of things. But essentially, there's some similarities. And before I spoke, I was part of, there's, there's this one part of the seminar where the leadership and trainers, they go on the stage and they, ha- and they do like basic, they call it dancing on stage prior to the seminar starting, but it's basically calisthenics. Like there's certain things we do, you know, okay. and I'm not a dancer. I ended up up there because I told them I don't dance and I'd suck at it. I don't want to do it. And so they're like, oh, you don't want to do it, huh? Oh. So you're going to lead the dancing. So you're going to be out there in the front. You know? So it's great. It's a great learning uh, exercise. Well, one of the one of my coaches, Lisa Morgan, I'll credit her with it, is she said, Carl, when you're in front of an audience, and this is when I was dancing, she goes, you're going to do this one move. And it's just like, you know, step, clap, step, clap. I was real super basic stuff. She said, you never go to the next move until everybody is doing your current move. And I thought, wow. So I remember it's 13,000 people and I start clapping and I noticed that part hasn't started, hasn't followed yet. So I look at them and I get them going, we get them going, we get them going. And then I look and I'm like, 13,000 people are following my step. I'm like, okay. Then I signal to the group, we're going to go to the next step. So I go to the next move. And then I watch as 13,000 people, they get in the rhythm. And what I learned from that, what my big lesson from that was, I have to make sure that everyone's actually hearing what my message is before Mm. I go to the next bit. Otherwise, I'll lose them. They won't catch up or they'll stop paying attention. And I, I realized that as long as I kept the audience in sync, they had the best experience. And so if I'm presenting to four people, 400 people, 4,000 people, 15,000 people, it's the same idea. I got to make sure I don't move on until I know everybody's with me. And if I have to stop and look somebody in there and say, hey, Tyler, are you with me? Put your phone down. You got me? Are you good? Are we good? All right, Tyler's ready, everybody. We can move on, right? So, you know, so you can have, you can be playful with it. But the idea is, is make sure the audience is in sync with you and make sure that they're following you. Otherwise, there's no sense in going on to the next point. Right. So it's safe to say there's some videos floating around of you doing really bad dancing. Is that, is that a fair statement? I so hope (laughs) not. I so hope not. (laughs) But it might be the case. It might very well be the case. 
I won't tell anyone. Hey, I always love to end the podcast with a question around a business or a life tip, something that you've experienced, whether it be in your business life or your personal life that you could share with us and perhaps we could apply to make our lives better. Well, from a business tip standpoint, one of the things I've learned and and is the biggest failure of almost every business is you cannot stop marketing no matter what. There is no excuse. There's no reason. You do not ever. I have too many clients. That's fine. Then bring them in and hand them off to somebody else. But you never stop lead generating. And the reason being is is because the day that you stop, the energy it takes to create again, you know, your audience is not sitting around waiting for you. You know, I like these people that say, oh, I'm going to take a year off. Well, go take a year off. I might not be here when you get back. I have a life to lead. So when you're in business, there is no, absolutely no scenario where you stop marketing, lead gen. and, And that's the biggest mistake we see, you know, is people will do that. Now, as far as a life tip, what I've learned is, is that, you know, statistics would say that two thirds of the words in our English language have a negative slant. You know, you're going to have 40,000 thoughts a day, you know, 20, 25,000 of them are the same ones you had yesterday. If you're a business owner and you're doing one to 10 million, you are the top 4% of all businesses, right? 96% of people never got, never are never here, which means you are like one in 600 people, which means in order to find a peer, you have to go into a room of 1200 people statistically before you meet a peer. If you're doing 10 million, you are 0.4% of the population. That means you're one in 6,000 people and you are you have to walk into a room of 12,000 people to find a peer. So my point being is there's not many of us and we have to stick together. You you need to not only do you need to find a peer group that's hugely important with somebody who understands what you're doing because the more successful you get the more isolated and lonely you get as a business owner. I mean, I've trained 7,000 coaches over the years. I set the standard of some things in the coaching and consulting world that are used today. I can't go running around to a bunch of coaches like, hey, guys, here's here's the next idea I have on my mind. I can't share it. I have nobody to talk to, right? So on one side, I need a peer group, but more importantly, I need certain routines. I need certain routines every single day that fill my cup with the positivity and the empowerment that overcomes the two-thirds or the three-quarters of my stimuli that is going to be coming at me negatively. And it doesn't come at me negatively to try to hurt me. People that love me and care for me try to keep me safe. So they're trying to protect me from things. And it's the worst thing that can happen. I say, thank you so much, but I've got it. There's certain things I've got to do, you know, and when you're in that one to 10 million range, you just don't have a lot of friends. You just don't, you know, people don't. And if you have a good idea, there's, there's enough people that are hoping that you crash so they can pick up the pieces, then you succeed. Like you have so few people on your side, it's scary. So you need, so for example, every morning I get up and I play, I take all of my goals and I speak them into an audio recorder. And I can tell you it's nine minutes long. You know how long my showers are? Nine minutes. Want to know why? Because I put the damn thing on and I don't leave until it's over. First half of my shower is piping hot. Second half is cold water. So the second half of my shower, I'm doing a cold plunge every day. Do I like it? Do I want to? No. And I know. So it's, it's a metaphor for me. I've got to take the lever from here to here. And I say, am I going to do that this morning? And I'm like, got to do it. So I got to reach back, turn the lever. And then I go from hundred degree water to 48, 50 degree water like that. And I have to sit in that 
you know, because I've got to get my 11 minutes of cold exposure a week, right? And so I take my vitamins and I, I do IV drips and I go to the gym and, and we are, you know, as entrepreneurs, we are such a rare breed and nobody else understands us but us. And as crazy as all this crap sounds like that we do, we have to do it. Like it's not crazy to another fellow entrepreneur, but it's, it's nuts to the outside world. And remember, the first 14 people you're going to talk to every day have no clue who you are. You're, you might bump into one other that understands you. And then the next 14 have no clue what you're doing because as entrepreneurs, we're one in 15 people. But I don't know how big of a room you hang out in. But once you're over a million dollars, you know, you're, unless you're walking in rooms that have 500 people, I'm going to the airport today. I'll pass a thousand people. I'll meet two entrepreneurs. Wow. You know what I mean? So I think, so as if you are in our game, in order to win our game, we lead such an unorthodox life. There's so few people that can actually help us that. So we need peers, but we need daily routines because no one's coming. There's no bailout program for us. It's us. And, you know, and for us, for those that love it, we love it. We live by it. Right. And for others, it takes them down. You know, nine out of 10 businesses don't make it five years. There's a reason. They shouldn't have been entrepreneurs in the first place. Right. It's that one in 10. They make it. Why? Because there's no other option for us. You know. So I have a question. You said nine minutes you're talking to your recorder about goals. Is that you have nine minutes of goals? Is it, is it are you reciting them every day? Is it more of like affirmation or I'm well, there's it's a bit a bit of both. I write down what are my goals? So I write down my my goals for I mean I'm 50s, I'll be 57 soon. So what are my goals in my 50s and 60s and 70s, right? So I have my long-range goals, I have my one-year goals, and I have the thing, and then I have affirmations. Got it. And I'll say, I have this in my life, I am that. And I will, I will go through that. Uh, I'll go through the, those things. I'll summarize key learnings of things I need to remember. Now, remember, Carl, here are the decisions you need to make today. Like, for, for example, there's a metaphor that I use that being a CEO is like being a quarterback in football. Every snap, the ball comes to you, right? But you are judged as a quarterback, not on how fast you are, or how tall you are, how strong you are, because you could look at quarter, the greatest quarterbacks in the world with one exception, like John Elway, none of them were physical specimens. But what did they do really well? They made quick decisions and the right decisions, and they got the ball in the hands of the person who was supposed to have it, right? And so there is a, you know, quarterbacks are judged by how quickly they distribute the ball, right? And you have two seconds. You have two seconds to get the ball, read the defense, and find what you're supposed to do with the ball. If you hang on for it too long, bad things happen, right? And so you get rid of it, good things happen. And so being an entrepreneur is like being a quarterback. We have to make sure that we're making those decisions every day. And I've got to be ready to do that because there's so, there's so, you know, we feed a lot of people every day, our employees, their families. A lot of kids go to college because of us. You know, a lot of kids get, you know, start businesses of their own or have cars or own families. So own homes. So, you know, we've got to make the right decisions as well as quick ones. And we rarely have perfect information to do it. So I've got to be in a position where I can make those decisions and be in that place where, you know, I can make the best possible decision for the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Hey, appreciate everything that you shared today. I can tell you're just an awesome speaker. I'd love to have been in one of your presentations because you're you're fun to listen to. You have great examples. I'll put in the show notes at thinktyler.com. Your website is carlgould.com. Gould is G-O-U-L-D. 
G-O-U-L-D.com. So Carl, Carl's with a C and uh, those will be in the show notes. If people wanted to reach out to you any other way, anywhere else you'd like them to go? Yeah. So one of the easiest way for us to connect is go to my personal website, carl360.com. So C-A-R-L-360.com. And um, all of my social media, all the ways to connect with me and you can learn about me there. That's probably the best way to get me. Okay, awesome. Hey, thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. And I look forward to talking with you again in the future. Anytime. Thanks so much, Tyler. That's all for this episode of Think Business with Tyler. But we have plenty more resources to help you in your pursuit of business excellence on our website at thinktyler.com. If you'd like to be featured in a future episode of the show, feel free to reach out to us on social media at think underscore Tyler. We look forward to helping you think life, think success, and think business. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, that's my name is Prince Daniels Jr. On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid. Hey guys, it's Miriam Love here. And I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In, the Spanish remixes, out now on Electric Cast Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music.